Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Of, uh, Acts chapter 2 and verses 1 to 13. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews, Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pygria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have no, they've had too much wine. And then uh, the uh, responsive reading is from the end of the chapter, um, and uh, we'll find it maybe on the slides. <laughs> uh, we're probably out of order in the, in the way that it was put, in the, put together, so it might be a little difficult for them to find it. But while they find that, let me fill in what happens in between is Peter stands up and preaches a sermon uh, to the people and explains to them who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And then the people are, of course, uh, surprised uh, because they are probably also the same crowd of people that had just recently crucified Jesus. And uh, so then after the sermon uh, comes these verses from uh, chapter uh, 2 and beginning with verse 42. And I'll read the leader part and you can respond with the other part. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to them those who were being saved. May the Lord bless the reading as we have read it from Acts chapter 2. Glad to be here today to share with you on uh, the birthday of the church, and we should sing happy birthday to the church, but I'm not a very good song leader, so we'll skip that and go on to, uh, go on to the sermon. But uh, roughly 2,000 years ago, I guess, the church was born in the day of Pentecost. It was a change in the direction of God's mission for his people in the world, and today we celebrate that change, the time when uh, the power of God's Spirit enabled 
uh, men and women like you and I to change the direction of the world in which they lived. In Acts chapter 2, we see at least uh, four acts of the Holy Spirit, at least as I've discerned them here, it's reading through the, the passage this past week. And uh, we'll see them outlined here by Luke, who was the writer of Acts. Uh, Luke tells us first that there were, in the first 13 verses, he describes for us the acts of God uh, this, uh, who sent this Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit uh, was promised by Jesus, as we recall in his teachings in John like 14, 15, 16, and various other places in Luke and the other Gospels. So the Holy Spirit then became the connector of what we would see happen as we read through the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's connections, I guess, were very important for us today, because without the Holy Spirit's connections, uh, we would be uh, just a random bunch of uh, people wandering around in the world as uh, believers in Jesus. So if we look, for example, at the triangle there, uh, we could see that the Holy Spirit would be at the bottom of the triangle, and we are even below that. And uh, he connects us then to God the Father and uh, God the Son. Just as Jesus, when he came to earth, connected us uh, with God, his heavenly Father. So there's a connection that God wanted to make clear, that he didn't want to be separated from his people, but he wanted to be part of the lives of his people. That's not just as individuals, but as a collective people. And so the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost came not just on one person, but on the assembled group of the 120 in that upper room. <clears throat> The, old, the, the, the day of Pentecost reversed what had happened in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you remember, there was a story of the Tower of Babel. And uh, they, uh, at that time, the people got together on the earth. They all spoke one language. And they decided, let's build a tower to heaven, and we'll make a monument to ourselves, and we'll be able to climb up into the very heavens, and we'll be like gods. And uh, that was their sole purpose in life, was to become like God. And of course, God knew that he didn't create them to be like gods. He created them to be people. And so God came down and scrambled their languages so they couldn't understand each other, so they had to abandon uh, that tower of, uh, uh, that was going to be built up to heaven to make them like gods. Well, the, the New Testament story, the, the account of the the day of Pentecost, reversed all of what happened in that story. For on that day of Pentecost, people were able to hear the gospel message spoken to them no matter what language they spoke. And if you read through that passage, as we read it earlier, there were 15 or 16 or some, depending on how you count them, different languages of people who were assembled there in Jerusalem for this Jewish festival, uh, this uh, first harvest festival, this celebration that the Jewish people had called Pentecost. And so it was that day when all of those people from around the world were assembled in Jerusalem that God uh, sent his Holy Spirit to change the direction of the world. And those people were able to hear the gospel message in their own language. So it was either a, a miracle of hearing or a miracle of speech. It doesn't really matter, but the gospel message was proclaimed that day. And today we continue that method, don't we? Hundreds of languages, the gospel has been translated into hundreds of languages and people around the world and, and, and different cultures can hear the gospel message in their own language. But no matter how clear the gospel is presented, 
there are always some people who misunderstand it. There are always some people who want to uh, ignore it. Uh, people still have questions. Some people refuse to believe the gospel story. And other people, well, they just make fun of it. You've had too much wine to drink or something. But uh, that happens to us just as it did to the disciples long ago. And we, like those disciples then, we don't want to become discouraged just because people make fun of us. We still want to stand forth and proclaim what Jesus has done for us just as Peter proclaimed as an eyewitness uh, what uh, God had done for him through Jesus' presence in his life. Then we see in this second section, the uh, section where it records um, Peter's sermon to the people who were gathered there that day. This is, these, these, we could say, were the acts of the Holy Spirit through Peter and the other disciples. Now, we don't know exactly how it happened there. Peter, Peter's sermon is recorded there. We, there may have been uh, the other disciples dispersed throughout the crowd, and perhaps they were uh, preaching their own sermons in different areas. Who knows how exactly it happened? But we know that there, in that time, God's Spirit was able to speak through Peter, and Peter began his message by uh, establishing the fact that he was not the author of this message. Uh, this wasn't uh, something that Peter and the disciples all got together in that upper room and for 10 days they plotted, now how are we going to change the world? That wasn't at all the way it happened, but rather Peter says, my gospel, the gospel I'm going to preach to you is based on what has already been uh, predicted, forecasted, prophesied by the uh, writers of the Old Testament. And so he quotes for us from uh, passages such as Joel, where it says, In the last days God will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And so we can see in this next slide here that uh, people were brought together around the, the message and that people around the world today can be brought together in unity around the message of uh, the good news about Jesus. He based his message on a fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, whether it was Joel that I just read or whether it was a prophecy of David in the Psalms, uh, as he said uh, uh, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will, will also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to, to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So he's saying here's a prophecy uh, David spoke of many years ago about Jesus and Jesus' body did not see decay. And the third day it was, uh, he was raised from the dead. And so Peter is very specific about basing his gospel message on what God had called him to do. And we see that in the next one of these slides. We have kind of an illustration of that, perhaps. We see that uh, no ancient life has been more closely documented than the life of Jesus. And here in this slide says 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled through the person of Jesus. So again, as sometimes people think, uh, some people think the, the, the churches and, and the church message was all just thought up by great scholars in times past, uh, but that's not the case at all, is it? That God um, had planned for this gospel message and this message to be in the 
form of a person, and that person was the Son of God, Jesus, and he went out of his way to predict that that would happen uh, through many uh, prophecies of the Old Testament. And then Paul says that not only were there Old Testament prophecies and that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, but also uh, that um, the gospel account was based on eyewitnesses. I'm looking for the verse, I think it's verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of that fact. So Peter bases his message on the fact that he saw this Jesus. He saw him work the miracles. He heard his teachings along the Sea of Galilee, and uh, he was there when Jesus was crucified, and he was there and met Jesus as he came back to life on the third day. These are eyewitness accounts. You and I uh, have been eyewitnesses of things. Uh, We've got people among us who are eyewitnesses. And when somebody says to me, uh, like they did when I first came in April, you know, uh, back in December, there were uh, between five and six feet of snow in the parking lot behind the church. And I said, well, you know, that sounds good. Probably a little bit of exaggeration, but, you know, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then what happened? What happened was people whipped out their phones and started showing me the pictures, you know. (laughs) And uh, then I believed because I said, these people are eyewitnesses of this thing. And so we we tend to believe what's been proved to us uh, because someone who is an eyewitness of uh, that event uh, helps us to believe. And that's the case it was with these disciples. They were eyewitnesses of what Jesus began to do and to teach, and now they were proclaiming what Jesus began, and they were going to continue uh, here uh, through this day of Pentecost and through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And then the third section of this chapter talks about the acts of the people who then listened and believed on what the disciples had to say. They were convicted, to put it mildly. As I said earlier, these were probably some, at least, of the same crowds of people who had cried out earlier, crucify him, crucify him. And then when Peter explained to them uh, who this Jesus was that they crucified, they felt a great deal of guilt and, and probably felt terrible for the sin that they had committed against God. And they cried out, what should I do? What can we do? And Peter and the disciples were able to give them the good news that Jesus uh, was willing to forgive them, uh, that it was all part of God's plan, again, for the salvation of men and women in this world. Conviction of sin at first seems to be rather uncomfortable to us. I don't know if you've been convicted of your sin in times. I have, and I'm sure all of us had. We we have a conscience, a God-given conscience, that helps to convict us. But then the Holy Spirit kind of adds to that a conviction of our sin and our guilt and our need to seek forgiveness. In John, Jesus says the Holy Spirit convicts men of sin, of of their sin and of their need for righteousness and their need to avoid the coming judgment. So that's the Holy Spirit working in these people as they heard Peter and the disciples proclaim the gospel on that day. That conviction of sin started them on the path to change. And that's what conviction of sin does in our life. And so when you're convicted, thank the Lord. You know, hey, this is uh, the Lord helping me to direct me 
to go a different direction, to act in a different way. That's what the word repent means, is to change direction. And so they were convicted of their sin. They asked forgiveness of their sin from God, and also, I'm sure, from those that they had sinned against. And then God began a new work through the indwelling power of God's Spirit in the lives of those who believed. And to demonstrate their belief, they were baptized, it said. So this promised gift of the Holy Spirit brought into them a desire to be baptized and to publicly demonstrate what they already believed in their heart. And so that's what we do as Baptists when we have believers' baptism. We are proclaiming publicly what Jesus has already done in our hearts. And so if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't made that public proclamation of what Jesus has done in your heart, then that's what we do when we have baptisms. And we can uh, be glad to share in that experience with you in the days ahead. So here were people who were convicted, and then they were baptized, and then God's Spirit came upon them. God's Spirit was also a gift to them, the gift of whatever specific way in which God chose to work in their life. And we don't have time this morning, but you can read in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and other passages about the wide variety of gifts that God's Spirit sends into each one of those who call upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so you have been given a gift, and it's up to you as a Christian to ask the Lord, what gift have I been given that I can use to further your kingdom and bring glory to your name? There's a wonderful promise here that this Holy Spirit's gift was not just for the disciples. In verse 39, it says, um, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So the promise of God's Holy Spirit wasn't just for the day of Pentecost, but for you and I today. We are those children. We are those who are far off in time sense from this day of Pentecost, and yet it's for all who the Lord our God will call. So God is calling us. He continues to call people in this world today to come to himself through the Holy Spirit, and then when they come to him in repentance and faith in Jesus, then he fills them with the Spirit and gives them a special gift that they can use uh, to honor and glorify him and to serve his church and his world. And then the, the last section of this chapter talks about the acts of the Christians who then were living by the Holy Spirit. It says up to 3,000 people were added to the church that day. These 3,000 people had to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit or they wouldn't have made it. Uh, let's fix, uh, you know. Can you imagine taking uh, all of those people of all those different languages and 3,000 of them and then trying to build something out of them. Well, you know, it would have been crazy. It couldn't happen. Without the Holy Spirit's indwelling those people that day, the church would not have begun. And so proof of what uh, happened was shown through lives that were changed. Changed lives prove, make evident what the Holy Spirit does in people's lives. And the change happened when they learned together. That was the first change. They put away their foreign practices, whatever they might have been from their nationalities around the world, their uh, previous understandings of who God was, 
and they began to learn from the disciples who Jesus was. They heard the apostles' teaching, it says here. And those teachings may have been uh, what's the basis for our New Testament today. And some people, as they study the New Testament, they can seem to pick out nuggets of truth, like uh, what may have been early uh, confessions of faith of the church and so on, early prayers of the church. And so the apostles were teaching things. Probably they taught the people uh, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer today. And all those things then later were put into what we call the New Testament. So they were learning together. And then second, it says they fellowship together, enjoying one another's company. And I've noticed that is true here. People seem to enjoy one another's company. We enjoy getting together and sharing the good news about what Jesus is doing in our life. And we enjoy even sharing our concerns with one another when we have prayer time because we know we don't have anything to be afraid of. These people are concerned about us. They love us, and they want to see the best for our lives and for the lives of our loved ones. And so we fellowship together. We worship together. We pray together. These people prayed together and worshiped together in the temple in Jerusalem. And then they prayed together and worshiped together in homes. And it says they broke bread or, or they... Uh, celebrated what we would call the Lord's Supper or communion and from house to house and, and so on. They shared together what was needed by all the people so that the people were not uh, going without. Uh, no one counted what was his own to be his own, but freely shared it with those people who were in need. They shared not only physical needs, but they shared the wonders and the miracles that were done by the disciples in their midst what stories they must have told as they went back to their different places from which they came. They could tell about the signs and wonders that had occurred. They could tell about the disciples' teaching. They could tell about their good times of worship and prayer in the temple and in homes. And then it says, finally, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. The Holy Spirit dwelling within the lives of his people should attract other people to the Lord. And if we're living our lives in such a way that we're pleasing to the Lord, then we should be, at least most of the time, pleasing to other people. Once in a while we have to stand up and say, this is what I believe, and people may disagree with us and may not be too pleased with our position. But generally, Christians who are living according to God's Word and living in tune with the Holy Spirit should be people that kind of put out a, a glow to them. I don't know whether you've ever uh, met someone like that, but uh, a couple of times in my life, at least, I've met some famous people that seem to have a, a glow about them. <laughs> but even common, ordinary people uh, who are Christians, have you ever met somebody who was a stranger? You never met them before in your life, but at a Christian gathering, you met them, and immediately you were just able to be drawn to that person. Well, that's the Holy Spirit within that person interacting with the Holy Spirit within you and bringing you together, helping you to enjoy uh, the favor of a brother and sister or sister in the Lord. And so we can enjoy the fellowship, enjoy the favor of all God's people, attracting even those who are not yet Christians to the gospel message because they see Christ reflected in our life. And that's what it means when they were enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, my brother Philip was a pastor at Crab Orchard Baptist Church in, in uh, Beckley, West Virginia. 
and they built a gymnasium like you have here. And then they heard of this program called Upward Bound. And uh, it's not the program that's the important. The important part was is that they used what they had, and they had volleyball tournaments and basketball tournaments and, and uh, badminton tournaments and you name it, they had it there. And it was a sports program for young people and young adults and even, even the senior citizens. They had beanbag toss, which I think, somebody say they had a beanbag toss here one time? I think I heard that. I could do that. Uh, the volleyball and basketball I couldn't do so well at. But anyhow, these people would get together, and then at the halftime of whatever they were doing, basketball or volleyball, uh, they asked the preacher or one of the deacons or someone in the church to stand up and give a testimony about what Jesus did. And Philip says the gospel was spoken to more people on Saturdays and on vacation tournament times in the gymnasium than was ever spoken probably to a crowd in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. You see, they were enjoying the favor of the people because they opened up their building, they brought people in, and people were ready then to listen because they, they, they enjoyed the company of these Christians who were so... Uh, open and inviting to bring them in and to sponsor that program. And that could be true of any kind of a program, I'm sure. It could be true of a quilting bee, or it could be true of an antique tractor show, or whatever it might be. But as we open our lives, people are able to enjoy the fellowship of God's Spirit within us, and they'll be attracted to God's Spirit within the, within the, the, the confines of the family of this church, and they'll say, hey, I want what those people have. I want to enjoy life like those people enjoy life. And so that would be a challenge for us to pick up not only that, but these other characteristics of these early Christians. The acts of the Holy Spirit can really bless us today, just like the acts of the Holy Spirit blessed those people of long ago. And we need to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord in order for that Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We can't do that by ourselves. And we receive the Holy Spirit by receiving Jesus into our life, by asking him to forgive us and come and dwell in our life. And then we believe what Jesus did. We believe those apostles' teachings about Jesus' life and his miracles and his death and his resurrection. We believe those teachings about that Jesus is going to hold us accountable someday and someday he's going to return. And he's going to take those who love him to be with him in a new heaven and a new earth. And those who are not are going to be separated for eternity from the Lord. So we need to allow that Holy Spirit through Jesus, the invitation of Jesus into our life to change our lives, to make us new people, to make our lives changed. And as we read the Bible and as we pray and as we seek the Lord, he will direct us in every area of our life. All the qualities that we've seen here in these last few verses of Acts chapter 2 can be qualities, can be reflected in, in the life of our church here and in the individual lives of those Christians who make up this congregation. So I want to challenge you today to think about what the Lord would do so that every day as we continue to meet together in the church uh, and breaking bread in our homes and eating together and having glad and sincere hearts and as we praise God, and enjoy the favor of the people around us here in this community, the Lord will add daily those who are being saved to our numbers, just as he did to those people long ago. Shall we pray? 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us, and we know, Lord, that your Spirit can work in our lives just as, it worked, as you worked in the lives of these disciples long ago. Lord, just help us to be able to be open to the Spirit's movement in our life that you might receive all the honor and glory and praise and that many other people might be drawn into your forever family. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.